Second Chronicles chapter 17. Our journey through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. While we're turning there, if you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. If you just wave and get their attention, they'll get one into your hands and have our place marked tonight. And that way you can not only hear the word of God, but also uh, follow along in the reading of it. We come now to a king in Second Chronicles chapter 17, one of the great kings of the Old Testament, a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. And he follows his father as king, and his father's name was Asa. He is, uh, he is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. His father's name was Asa, and Asa was also one of uh, the great kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, one of eight that walked and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Northern kingdom of Israel never had one king that walked uh, pleasing to the Lord. And uh, we saw last week how it is that late in Asa's life and in his ministry, he stumbled and he marred his testimony. One of the things that's interesting to me as I read through the scriptures and when the Lord records, you know, from David to whoever, Noah, all within the Bible, and uh, God records for us them on the mountaintop where they're doing these amazing things for God and being so faithful to him. And then the Lord at the same time records from their life uh, where they stumble and where they fail and where they sin. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a friend conceals a matter. And I realize how much God keeps quiet just between me and him in terms of when I stumble and I fail and fall short and how he loves to keep things as small as they can possibly be kept uh, unless there's a failure to repent. And then our sin is going to find us out and he has to escalate those kind of situations. But with confession of sin and repentance, he's so quick to keep things uh, as quiet as they can. And so when he takes and he exposes the sin and the failure of his servants in the scripture. It's never something, it's a difficult thing for him to do. And the reason when I read about these things, I never look and say, well, this is somebody that, oh, how could they do that or this or that, any of that kind of an attitude. The, the idea is what a price God has paid personally to go ahead and include this in his record for my instruction. And for your instruction so that we can notice those same tendencies all the way from Adam and Eve inside of us. Nothing new under the sun. See the same tendencies in our own heart. Learn from the mistakes of others and then do uh, in our own lives without making those same mistakes. And so it's precious to read about where these men and women have done great things. And then also we're very much on holy ground in God's record of, of their shortcomings, of their failures, and even of their sins. And then Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, reigned in his place. And he strengthened himself against Israel. So the northern kingdom of Israel, there was still kind of hostility in the early part of his reign between the two. And so he felt that he needed to 
uh, kind of secure uh, and strengthen Judah's defense against the northern kingdom of Israel. And so he placed troops in all of the fortified cities of Judah. He set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. And so he's concerned about the safety and the security of his population, of the people, as any ruler should be over any nation. And he took very firm steps uh, to secure and uh, assure their security. Now, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David, and he did not seek the Baals. And so Jehoshaphat is a very, very good king. Uh, he, uh, his father was, by and large, a very, very good king. He enlarges upon the foundation that his father had laid in his life related to the things of the Lord. Always outgrow your parents. Always outgrow your grandparents' relationship with the Lord. When your heritage is that kind of a heritage, there's no reason not to. And so he expands on this investment spiritually in his life. And he uh, did not seek the Baals. He didn't engage in idolatry, the idolatry that prevailed uh, within Judah at that time, even uh, despite, I shouldn't say prevailed, but it still had a strong place in Judah, despite Asa's uh, great efforts. Apparently, later on in Asa's life, uh, the great attention that he gave to the removal of idolatry, he didn't uh, stay on that in his later years as much as he did in the early years. And so it began to reintroduce into the land. And Jehoshaphat, even as a young man, he turned away from idolatry for the purpose of seeking the Lord, his uh, God of his father, and walked in his commandments and did according to the acts of Israel. And so he was a man who obeyed God's word in a context uh, that was largely a context of disobedience to God's word. And that's the world you and I live in. That's the nation you and I live in. That's the city and the neighborhood, for the, unless your neighborhood is one I haven't been to yet. But that's, that's the world that we live in, where we have to choose to live a life of obedience to the Lord in a national context of disobedience and the power and the abilities to do that. We make the choice in our own lives for whether we're going to do that or not. And Jehoshaphat shows us that he, he, we can, and he did it under an inferior covenant. We have uh, the Spirit of God inside of our lives providing us with a will to do, uh, the motivation to live a holy life, and also the power uh, to do that. And so these were the characteristics of his life. And because of this godliness in his life, these decisions that he had made to walk with God, therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And so uh, he had his own relationship with the Lord, and, and, uh, uh, and God honored this as he does all obedience in some form or another in our lives. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. So again, he has his own personal relationship with the Lord. This isn't something that he's doing through the priests or some religious system, or it's the right thing for a king to do. This guy, has he, he's got a personal delight in the Lord and in the ways of the Lord. And moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. So he went in and he began uh, to take out all of these 
uh, idols in high places that had, again, crept back in Asa's declining years. And so he did all of this out of a motivation of his own love for the Lord. So he recognizes that he has beefed up the national defense of the southern kingdom of Judah, but he realizes that you can beef up the national defense of a nation, but if you don't also uh, deal with its morality, if you don't address the idolatry and the uh, immorality of the nation, then you can have the greatest defense in the whole world. And as we have seen throughout history, you watch great civilizations or empires ultimately do what? They rot from the inside. So they've got this great military, but while all of this is on the field and in place, the nation Roman Empire is a classic example of this, where they just rotted so much morally that because uh, that was neglected, that then there was nothing really for the military uh, to protect ultimately. So there was good that he set up that national defense, but he realized, hey, it doesn't do any good if the nation rots from the inside out. And the great wisdom on his part. And also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hale, uh, uh, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and uh, Micaiah to uh, teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, and he lists those Levites there. And at the end of verse 8, uh, with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. And so here he is. He's got a He's got a personal relationship with God. He loves the Lord and he loves the Lord and he knows the Lord because of the revelation of God through his word. So when your life has been changed by the word of God and you have an intimate relationship with God by virtue of the fact that you've come to know him in the single greatest place that we can go to for an accurate description of him, which is the scriptures, well, this is a guy that looks and says, I'm not going to keep all of this to myself. He said, I could go into idolatry. I've got all kinds of people in the kingdom going into idolatry. He looks at it and says, it must mean that they don't know God the way that I know God. Because when you come to know God, why would you worship all of these other things that are patently inferior to him? And so his idea was, I'm going to teach the whole nation about this God and about his ways. And so... Uh, very, very wise of him. And he sends out uh, these leaders that he knew there in verse seven. He also sent out uh, religious um, men, Levites, a couple of priests as well. We don't really know in verse seven whether, uh, you know, the position, whether they were priests or Levites or not at all. The men that are listed in verse seven, uh, they could just be uh, very godly peers, uh, so to speak, of Jehoshaphat, and he looks and says, these are the guys that I know that know God the best, and they know his word, and they know God better than any of the priests and the Levites at the moment, and so I'm going to send them out and make the Levites and the priests kind of serve them and help them accomplish the teaching of the word, and maybe they'll learn uh, something as well. I tell you, it's a, it's a very... Um, unwise leader of any church, certainly, or any Christian organization who does not realize that there are people far more spiritual than them that are attending that church or serving the Lord in, in that particular ministry. And so here is this 
recognition of that. Not always are the most spiritual people the one with the positions or born into these positions or having these uh, kind of titles. And so they taught in Judah and they had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all of the cities of Judah and they taught all of the people. And so everybody has a right uh, to know about God and to know what his standard of right and wrong is. You can hardly hold people responsible if they haven't heard that message. And so Jehoshaphat makes sure that uh, they did hear that message. And the fear of the Lord fell on all of the kingdoms of the lands that surrounded the surrounding nations that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. So God's favor was so great on Jehoshaphat. Uh, during that time in his reign, that even his enemies, I mean, the Philistines, as we're going to see here in a moment, the Arabians, these were bitter enemies of the Jews and uh, remain so very much to this day. And uh, but they they saw God's favor upon this man's life and they realized we better do whatever we need to do to be on good terms with this man, because God is pleased with him and pleased to bless him. And so even some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and they brought him silver as tribute. Tribute was a way of communicating. Uh, we submit to you. So this was a voluntary kind of offering of tribute to Jehoshaphat. In other words, you're not going to have any problems from us. And not only the Philistines, but the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 uh, male goats. So all of it is an expression of goodwill. And so Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And these are their numbers according to their father's houses, uh, listing now of the, his military power, his leaders, the, the military, the army that Judah possessed. And so these were uh, the captains of thousands, uh, Adna the captain, and with him 380,000 mighty men of valor that were uh, warriors that were under him in the military. Another commander was uh, Jehohanan. He was the captain and with him 280,000. Next to him was uh, Amasiah. Oh, boy, I better not mess his name up. Get a spear right between the eyes. So next to him was uh, Amasiah, the son of Zikri, and I like this, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. And he was the captain over 200,000 mighty men of valor. So here's this leader who willingly offered himself to the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord. And so then, as well as now, uh, tough guys love the Lord, too. You know? I don't like that bumper sticker, though, if you have it again, my apologies. The one that says real men love Jesus. I, I'm a Christian and I don't even get that. It's just like, OK, you poke me in the eye with a stick here and I got one more free one. You got another bumper sticker to do that. I just I don't understand that. Would, that would be such an offense to me as a non-Christian to hear that. And to read it, because I wouldn't understand it. I don't even understand it as a Christian, though I, I try to. But the fact of the matter is, moving away from bumper sticker theology, which is always a little iffy, a little shaky. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that 
you know, Old Testament, New Testament, this covenant, all to walk with the Lord. I, I just I put it this way. Walking with the Lord faithfully in this world is it's it's the most courageous thing and the most difficult thing that anyone, a man or a woman or a child will accomplish. We'll do it with God's grace and with his power. There's a great price that's paid in order to be faithful to the Lord in this world. And I'll tell you, I know guys in the body of Christ, I can't speak for the gals, you come up with your own illustrations. But I know men in the body of Christ that I've served with that couldn't throw a football from here to that front row. But I'll tell you, tough, tough, spiritually, in what God has called them to, to be faithful to it, no matter what they hit within their families, outside their families, in the ministry, outside of the ministry. I mean, amazing people that you would go to war with spiritually uh, on anything. And so it's not always the big muscles and all, though that helps. <laughs> I'm not begrudging you your muscles. And uh, but. Toughness is measured in a lot of different uh, ways. Of Benjamin, Eliada, a mighty man of valor, with him 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was, was Jehozabad, and with him 180,000 prepared for war. These served the king besides those, uh, those the king put in the fortified cities throughout all of Judah. And so this was the size of the military that Judah had, 1,160,000 total. Now, unfortunately, uh, Jehoshaphat is not going to be very discerning about how he uses this great military that the Lord has entrusted to him. And uh, we pick that up now as we come to uh, chapter 18. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. Okay, so he said, everything's going great. There's no need to do anything special. You don't got to get pulled into any kind of thing. It's just you. You got a relationship with God. You got your ministry going on. God's blessing everything about it because you're obeying him and all. And you just think, all right, I should just be able to just do this undisturbed all the way till the rapture. But that's not the way that it works in life. I'll tell you something. When we walk with God and God prospers us, doesn't have to be materially. It can be. It can be a lot of other ways. There's just a blessing that's on our life, the peace that we enjoy, the hope that we have, the confidence that we have, the joy that we have. These are priceless things. You can't buy that with money. You can't buy any of that with money. You can't buy that. That's a gift that comes from God, it comes from a relationship with God. And so here he is, he's got all of this thing going on, and his life, all of his enemies recognize this is God's favor on his life. This is an, his life is attractive, it's noticeable as a result of that. And when a person has that kind of a relationship with God, the enemies of God are going to notice it too. And they're going to take them and try and use that person, manipulate that person, and, and try and use them for their purposes. And that's what happens here in chapter uh, 18. So sometimes we, we ask for the blessings of the Lord. We like the favor of the Lord. We like the fruit and prosperity or the fruitfulness of our ministries and all those kind of things. And all that's just fabulous. But you just realize you're going to get some wrong attention as well. And it's going to mean a certain kind of character that we have to possess to resist that. So we don't spoil what God's doing in our lives. So Jehoshaphat had riches. He had honor in abundance. And by marriage, he allied himself 
with Ahab, who was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, some of you may not know. Ahab was the worst king the northern kingdom of Israel ever had. He was the most evil king they ever had. Why Jehoshaphat aligns with him in marriage, I don't know. It's not revealed in the scriptures. But his oldest son married one of the daughters of Ahab and Jezebel. And presumably it did not happen without uh, his okay on that. So he's, he's got an iffy decision that he's made here in, in, in this already. Now, Ahab, the worst king that the northern kingdom of Israel ever had. And as I said before, the northern kingdom of Israel never had one good king. They all did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So this guy is evil in the context of evil. You just put a whole room of evil people together. And you say, all right, in the context of all these evil people, who's the most evil? Ahab. So that's who we're talking about here. This guy is just absolutely tapped in. The disobedience to God, disobedience to his word and and the whole idolatry and the whole demonic realm that's associated with it. And after some years, the two families are allied uh, allied here in in uh, marriage. And so Jehoshaphat went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. You see, he's down, he's in the south, he's going to the north, didn't he go up? You always go down from Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is up on a mountain. So he goes down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him, and the people who were with him, and he persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And so Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead. So Ramoth Gilead was a city that had once belonged to the northern kingdom of Israel, to the Jews there. Uh, it was taken by uh, a ruler by the name of Ben-Hadad, who was over Syria. And when the, uh, Israel defeated Syria, Ben-Hadad agreed to return all of the cities that they had taken to Israel. But then as time went by, he didn't return the cities and he didn't return Ramoth Gilead. And so Ahab says, all right, I want to take that city back from him. And so he looks and says, all right, I don't have the military to pull this off. Who is God blessing around the world? Who's got a big old military because he's obeying God? And he sets his eyes then on Jehoshaphat. Important to realize that in this banquet, the whole thing is a setup. The whole thing is a setup to manipulate Jehoshaphat into being willing to go into battle with this evil king when he knows Jehoshaphat won't be inclined to do that. So there's just just this great uh, manipulation element to all of this. This isn't just a feast and come and eat and we're so glad to see you. Uh, Now he wants to, uh, the whole manipulation behind it, what's being aimed at is to get him to join now in in fighting uh, the Syrians. I want you to notice that the ungodly in this scene seeks the godly out to join them in their prospects and in their desires. And it's important to realize for all of us as Christians, but I say the younger that you are and in your youth tonight, junior high, senior high, you make sure you choose who you allow to be a part of your life. Never, ever allow someone 
to become a significant part of your life or align yourself with someone, especially if they're evil, because they want to be a part of your life. And again, especially as a Christian, because our lives are attractive. We have something so often that they want an innocence, a purity, whatever it might be. And so it's so important for you to realize, so important for us to tell our children there is a blessing, there is a favor on your life as a Christian. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to want to attach to your life for a lot of different reasons. Don't you let them do it. You choose who you make your peers. You choose who you make your influencers, whether in the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh, all the way up through college into adult life. Just because someone wants to be your friend doesn't mean that they deserve to be your friend because friendship is influence. And so here is this man who is trying to attach himself to Jehoshaphat in order to strip him of the blessings that he has by virtue of being a godly person. And so don't ever let anyone guilt you into thinking that you cannot choose who your friends are. Sometimes we think that. We think as Christians, I've got to be the nicest person in the whole wide world. It's not being unnice to say no. You're, un, you're ungodly, you're a bad influence, and you're not going to be a part of my life. That's just the way that it is. Or not say it and keep it to yourself and make the same decision. But, but the point is, is that, 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 that here we are, we feel like we've got to be nice to everyone. We can never say no to anyone on any level. And then pretty soon they manipulate their way into a position in our life, and now they're influencing us for evil. That we have the freedom in God and in Christ to say no, to separate ourselves, keep ourselves separated from what is ungodly and will uh, draw us into trouble. New Testament equivalent, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Always, you can really never hear this verse uh, often enough in the culture that we live in. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what Fellowship with righteousness has righteousness with lawlessness. And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. In other words, there's not to be any agreement with it. And there's not to be any yoking together uh, of that. And, And so here is... This attempt now to introduce himself and the thinking of that uh, uh, Jehoshaphat is too nice and too godly to say no to Ahab. The problem is for Jehoshaphat is he was. And one of the great lessons we can learn from Jehoshaphat is nice people, godly people, Christian people, no matter who we are, we need to learn to say No to ungodly relationships and ungodly influence. And he really struggled with the ability to do that. Again, the whole scene is one of manipulation. And and Ahab is trying to manipulate uh, Jehoshaphat here. 
And Jehoshaphat was a leader that was very susceptible to manipulation. He either has trouble recognizing that it's happening to him or he has trouble saying no to people face to face when they're trying to manipulate him face to face. I think and I mentioned it when we were in Kings. But when I think about Jehoshaphat, because he goes through, he does these reforms, he makes all of these hard decisions from the throne. All right, get rid of all of the idolatry and send out the teachers. And what he is, he's a classic example. And I'll use my own calling as an example. Classic example of the pastor or the Bible teacher who is just, you know, a, a, a pillar of conviction when he's behind the pulpit. I mean, yes is yes and right. It, 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 no is no. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And I mean, there's absolute clarity that comes from his life related to it. And so he he he, he speaks with that kind of clarity and authority. But there's the realization in a Jehoshaphat that if I can get this guy alone, I can make progress with him. This is a man who finds it easy to express those convictions and even make those hard decisions in one role and in one environment where it's an edict over all of the kingdom. But when there is a human face in front of him that he must say no to a person, then he really struggles in that environment and you can manipulate him. And I think that Ahab recognized that weakness in Jehoshaphat. And it was a real weakness. And it's not just unique to, uh, to Jehoshaphat. There's a lot of us in, in the world. It's far easier to just say, okay, this decision, right, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And then when it comes face to face, it's the worst thing in the world. We hate the confrontation. We hate the price that we'll pay emotionally and all to be able to make that stand and deal with that issue. But it has to be dealt with. And, and so many of us recognize that same kind of tendency that can be in us or in other people. And, and so this was the, the uh, attempt that was being made. Now, I mentioned last time, but because there's probably three more people coming here since we were in the book of Kings, I do want to recommend, because we won't come back to this passage for a long time till we go through the scriptures again, and, uh, and that is a study by Gail Irwin on dealing with manipulators. And, and if you can get a hold of that study online or whatever, listen to it. And what Gail basically says is this. It's the very best thing that I've heard on it in my life. I'm no expert, but I mean, this is. And he determined in his pastorate and in his ministry. So whatever your ministry is. When he would have a sense that someone was trying to manipulate him and one a person is manipulating us when they are attempting to remove our freedom to say no to them. And that goes on all of the time. Everybody has manipulators in their life. And so Gail would just said the moment he would get the, the first hint of manipulation, he would immediately shut the door I, and say, I have a sense that you are trying to remove my right to say no here. And because of that, I say no to what you're proposing. And that was the end of the discussion as far as Gail was concerned. And I think it's very, very prudent. Godly people do not use manipulation. The Holy Spirit does not move us by manipulation. And so whenever manipulation is in the mix, you're, no harm is going to come to you to put a stop to it, say no to it, 
and then uh, move yourself back from that and get the mind of the Lord related to the situation. And so the importance of learning how to deal with manipulators, people that are trying to add their agenda uh, to God's call upon your life, God's purposes for your life. And this is exactly what uh, was was going on. And so Jehoshaphat uh, then answered this invitation or the request that Ahab made at the end of verse three, in case you forgot where we were. And he answered Ahab and said, I am as you are. No, you're not. Jehoshaphat, you are not as Ahab is. What are you talking about? So again, that has to be that standard. We are not like everyone else in the world as followers of Jesus Christ. We're not like everybody else. And so it's just a dumb thing for us to say or to think. You've got to put that standard there. So he's just trying to be nice. And it's not, this isn't a place for niceness. It's a place for firmness. I am as you are. No, you're not. And my people is your people. No, they're not. We will be with you in the war. So he agrees to go into the war, into the battle. And also Jehoshaphat then said to Ahab, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. So here's another weakness of Jehoshaphat. There's so much to learn here. Weakness of Jehoshaphat is he's a person who would answer uh, an invitation that was being given to him. He would say yes or no to something before he prayed. So he would say yes to something and then go to the Lord in prayer when it should be the exact opposite to say, I'll have to take that to the Lord in prayer. I will get back to you on that. And then you answer getting those things backwards where I where I commit to things and then go to prayer. That's a great way to end up in battles that we have. uh, God has no mind for us to be involved in. And so he said to the king, uh, listen, I've agreed there, but I'm, I'm hesitant here. And so I want to inquire for the word of the Lord today related to what you have uh, invited me to be a part of. And then the king of Israel, he gathered the prophets together, uh, 400 men. And he said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Now, these 400, these are are not uh, prophets of Baal or Asherah or Um, You know, any of these false prophets that were associated with Jezebel and what she was about and what Ahab was about, because there's no way that Jehoshaphat would even give them the time of day. So these are apparently uh, prophets that claim to know God, but were engaged in the calf worship, the idolatry of the northern kingdom of Israel. So they're on the payroll. So they know. All right. This is how you stay uh, employed with this king. You give him the answer that you think that he wants. Now, that's a really dumb position to put ourselves into as leaders is to surround ourselves with only one voice. And that is the voice of whatever people think that we want to hear rather than really hearing what they believe the Lord is saying. And so he says, do we go up against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. So they give a very, very positive message here. We're going to find out that it's demonically influenced. And uh, Jehoshaphat listens to all of this. 
And uh, he said uh, he's unconvinced by it. He continues to be hesitant. He's uncomfortable with it. And he says, is there still not a prophet? I mean, you got 400 out here. You'd think that'd be enough. Uh, but you, you got any other prophets around here of the Lord that we may inquire of him? And so clearly, again, Jehoshaphat is not comfortable with what's happening here. And so he, he doesn't have a peace about it. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's what the Bible says to us as Christians. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. As we are walking in obedience with God, there is a peace that characterizes our lives. I know that I'm right with God. If I come to a fork in the road and I take a left and God intended me to take a right immediately, there's a disturbance, not a disturbance in the force, but there's a disturbance in the relationship between the Holy Spirit and myself. And so I take this left instead of taking a right and I realize something's not right here. Something's not right here. I'm Lord. I'm missing something. Something has happened here. What have I missed? You took a left instead of a right at that decision. Gotcha. I know you allow U-turns. I'll head back and get on that right. And then what happens? We get in that place and the peace in our relationship with God, it's restored. So anytime, and it's one of the great ways, obviously the great way we know God's will is through his word. But another way is through that peace. And it's, it's just a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives where we're going along. And I, I assume most of us have done this, where we have made a decision. We got out ahead of the Lord like Jehoshaphat. We didn't pray about it. We said yes. We said no. We said whatever on the thing. And then we go and we're moving along in life. And all of a sudden we realize as soon as we quiet down in the course of the day and we realize, uh-oh, something happened between me and God. God, take me back through the day. Where did it happen? Happened right back here. I don't have that for you. You need to get that turned around. All right, I'm going to have to humble myself and go back and, and do the whole thing and, and get it right. But it's a very important way that God speaks to us as Christians. Never, ever go against your peace because it always leads to trouble. Jehoshaphat recognizes here that something is wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And he keeps trying to do something to produce some proof of the fact that uh, that this isn't right when he should have just been able to say something isn't right between God and I in this decision. I don't need to drum up a prophet or somebody else to to prove the fact that I shouldn't have made this decision. Something has happened between God and I. I'm going to have to say no to what I've just said yes to. I'm going to have to eat some crow, step back and figure out what's going on here. And there's no, absolutely nothing wrong uh, with that. And so that peace of God, whoo, boy, I'll tell you, I, I was going to call for it just to see a show of hands, but I'm deciding whether I should do or not in the interest of privacy or accuracy or really anything. Maybe it's just a bad idea. But, but I think most of us understand this, don't we? And how important it is to give heed to that witness of the peace of the Holy Spirit. And so Jehoshaphat, he requests another prophet. And so the king of Israel, he said to Jehoshaphat, well, we got one more left, you know, and he's kind of. 
he's a troublemaker by my standards, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me. Now, Ahab never never occurs to Ahab that the reason that uh, this prophet never prophesied good concerning him was because there was never any good to prophesy concerning him, that he was just evil. And, and so he this thing, it's all about him, you know, with Ahab. I tell you, I hire the ones that got something good to say about me. But this guy, anybody else, I put him in prison. And so he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And he is uh, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And so Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. And so he rebukes him for uh, speaking, calling a prophet of the Lord evil. And basically it's Jehoshaphat's way of just uh, of, of saying to politely. And this is a very public setting, politely saying to Ahab, uh, oh, don't say that about him. I want to hear him. And so what can Ahab do in this public setting except produce this wonderful prophet? And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, they sat each on his throne. And they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all of the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of uh, Chenaniah, he had made horns of iron for himself and all of this. And so, as we said before, the only thing worse than a false prophet is a false prophet with props. And so this guy's got props here. And uh, the horns, of course, were a symbol of uh, power and authority in the Old Testament. So he's apparently doing some kind of a dance or something associated, you know, taking the horns and thrusting them, maybe even this and how you're going to go right through the the enemy lines of the Syrians and this whole thing. And maybe each of the horn, each horn represents uh, the two Jewish kings that he's doing all of this in, in front of. And so they continue all of their false prophecies. And Zedekiah, uh, and so he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets, they prophesied so, saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. And so they got all the God talk down, all the Lord this, the Lord that, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And they're not, uh, let me put it this way. If somebody gives you a word from the Lord and they're an idolater, and they're walking in willful disobedience to God. Don't believe a word they're saying. You know? So uh, this is they're all saying the same thing, but a very invalid source. And so the messenger then who had gone to call uh, Micaiah uh, spoke to him, saying, now, listen, the words of the prophets are with one accord, uh, with one accord. They encourage the king. Let me tell you what's going on up there. There's a big throne and there's a lot of people. And it's really important to the king to look good and the whole deal. And all these prophets, the 400, you're over here on your own in the prison. They're all saying this thing. And, and so, therefore, please let your word be like the word of them. And would you speak encouragement uh, to this uh, king? So apparently it sounds like a discussion he's had periodically with the prophet here. And, uh, and he understands that the prophet isn't prone to do that because of the character of Ahab. And so uh, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And so that's the motto for everyone, every Christian who speaks for the Lord. Whatever my God says, 
that I will speak. And I like as he prefaces it, as the Lord lives. He says, my God's alive. So he's heading up into that room. He's been telling, okay, we got Jehoshaphat here, and he's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, God Ahab. And you know, I don't need to tell you about Ahab. He's the big shot up here. And you're outnumbered 400 to 1 by the prophets and the whole deal, and you're going in here. And he, in essence, says, I don't care who's in that room. I go and my minister, as we say today, before an audience of one. I'm going to minister in the presence of a God who is alive. You can't intimidate me with all of these other titles and all of this importance and all this everything. I'm going to be faithful because I am doing it as unto the Lord. And then he came to the king and the king said to him, uh, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And he said, go and prosper. And they shall be delivered into your hand. And so, uh, you know, we've, this is kind of like how emails can be misunderstood unless you put the little smiley face or whatever to communicate. Because you've got the written word here, but we can't hear the tone. Evidently, he speaks it with kind of a sarcasm. He knows what the false prophets have been telling him. And so he says it falls in line with it. The king recognizes that uh, that isn't, you know, what uh, how he sees things. And so the king said, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? All right. You want the truth? He said, here's the truth. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each one return to his house in peace. And so the shepherd represented Ahab. The sheep represented the armies that were going to go into battle. And he says, the shepherd's going to die. The sheep are going to lose their leader and they're going to return home. But but they're not going to be pursued by their enemies That's what's going to happen when you go out and you fight the Syrians. And then the king of Israel, he said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And then uh, Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. So he's going to uh, give a revelation of where the false uh, prophecies came to these 400 prophets He said, I saw the Lord, and whether he saw this in a vision or it was a revelation of some other kind from the Lord. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left, speaking of the angelic host in heaven. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? And so one angelic being spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit Clearly, um, a a demonic spirit came forward and he stood before the Lord and he said, I'll persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? And so he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and you and also prevail. Go out and do so. So here is this. God has uh, has did. God did not introduce evil into the world. That was introduced in the world by Lucifer's rebellion against God, even before the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So the first fall in the universe and the creation was by Lucifer. 
And so God isn't the author of any of that, but he can choose to overrule that realm to serve his purposes. And so that's what he does here. And he realizes Ahab is in a place that no one wants to be in and that he will not listen to God's truth. So when he 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 refuses to listen to the prophet over and over and over and over again, this is a man who does not want to hear the truth. Well, if I do not want to hear the truth, the truth of God, then all I have left is deception. All I have left to believe in are lies. And so God merely recognizes this man wants nothing to do with the truth. And so he will happily glom on to a lie. You will prevail. This will work with him. And therefore, look, uh, the prophet said, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. I give you 50 bucks if you got a picture of those 400 prophets when he said this. I mean, their jaws must have just dropped. He has exposed them. Wait a second. I was just about to get a pension here. And you've exposed us here for what we are. And, uh, and so here is the, the exposing that this whole thing that they're involved in isn't coming from God. It's coming from the demonic realm. Well, Zedekiah, here's the guy with the horns, the props. This was more than he could uh, take. Uh, the offense. And so he went near and he struck the prophet on the cheek, which, of course, is more than the physical pain of it. The whole idea is to publicly insult uh, the prophet there. And then he said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And so Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. And then and so basically, and I like this about the prophet, he's not going to get in an argument with this guy. I'm right. You're not going to get into it. He has said what God told him to say. This guy believes what he believes. And so let history unfold. And then who was speaking for God would be revealed. And then the king of Israel said, uh, take uh, Micaiah and return him to out. Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison, feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction. In other words, just give him enough to keep him alive until I return in peace. So he says this publicly, and he's also now refuting publicly the prophecy that the prophet gave. And the prophet isn't going to let him have the final word. He said, If you ever return in peace... The Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all of you people. So he gets the final word in there and uh, concerning being faithful to the Lord. And so he was. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Jehoshaphat, what are you doing? You wanted another prophet. You wanted a word from the Lord. And then you got the word from the Lord. And in spite of all of this that God has spoken here, and you know that God has spoken it, you still make the decision to align with this evil king and to go into battle. So this is the strength that that kind of weakness can have on a certain person. And it doesn't mean that that kind of person is worse than anybody else. We all have our weaknesses and we all have our strengths. 
but it makes us realize how important it is to um, if we do have this kind of weakness, the inability to make a stand and say, listen, I've got to change a mind here. No way. I'm backing out of this thing. And because God allows you turn, so to speak, and, and all. And instead, he just looks and says, all right, I don't want the conflict. I'm just going to roll with it. And it's going to be a disaster. And so the king of Israel, he said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and I will go into battle. But you put on your royal robes. You look like the king and then I'm just going to look like a regular guy in battle. Now, this means one of two things concerning Ahab. Number one, it means that for all of his other faults, he wasn't a coward. That he just said, all right, I want to put I'm a blue collar guy. I want to put on this uniform and all. And I just want to get out there in the battle just like anybody else. So maybe he just liked that kind of thing or it could be. He knew that everything that the uh, uh, Micaiah ever said was true and that the king is going to be killed in this battle. And so why don't you go out and have the Syrians believe you are me and I'll just look like a foot soldier in all of this. So one of the two things is happening here. And if Jehoshaphat had no business being in the middle of it uh, to be caught in, in whatever was happening. And so he disguised himself and they went into battle. Now, the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, fight with no one great or small. We don't want a big war here on on any of this. Just kill the king of Israel. We kill him and the people will depart. He's the cause of this hostility. And so it was when the captains of the chariots uh, of the Syrians entered into the battle, they saw uh, Jehoshaphat. And uh, they said, oh, it looks like a king, must be Ahab, that they said, it's the king of Israel. And this, therefore, they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and we don't know what he cried out, probably like, help, Lord, you know, and started to, you know, quote psalms of deliverance or whatever it might be. I'm inclined to think that he did begin to cry out to the Lord. And then when they heard a king crying out to the Lord, they said, that can't be Ahab. We got the wrong guy. And and so uh, turned back from it. So he's crying out and probably to the Lord because the Lord then helped him. God is so gracious. Has God ever uh, done that for you? Don't shout out. Just got you out and you say, Lord, I love you so much. Can this be just between you and I? Don't put it in the book. Uh, but, Lord, you are amazing. I should have just got hammered in, in that situation. And you helped me and God diverted them from him. And so it was when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now they don't know how to find this king Ahab, who they're after. And what Ahab doesn't realize, he thinks he's up against the army of Syria. He's up against the Lord. God's going to bring an end to his reign now. And so just a certain man, he drew a bow at random. He just pulled an arrow out. Just launched the thing off into the battle. And as that arrow came in, it struck the king of Israel between the joints of the armor and, and penetrated again God was involved in this. It wasn't about Syria. And so he's mortally wounded. And he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around, take me out of the battle because I'm wounded. And the battle increased that day. And the king of Israel, he propped himself up in his chariot facing the Syrians until the evening. So he realizes he's dying. 
But he doesn't want his people to give up in the battle. So he is giving the appearance that he's not as badly wounded as he actually is to keep his uh, forces fighting. Uh, but ultimately, about the time of the sunset, he died. So he slowly bled to death. And so we will stop there, obviously. And we will pick it up in chapter 19 uh, next time and continue uh, probably yeah, another week be continuing a little bit more concerning Jehoshaphat. You know, it's um, I was talking with a friend and he's teaching a Bible study tonight at another Calvary Chapel and he's in First Samuel this evening. And, and I said, aren't those historical books just so rich in the lessons that are in them? And he said, they really are. And he said, um, you know, what is probably most of our experience, so many people read the historical books and they just think it's, History from 3,000 years ago has nothing to teach us today. And, but we are all the same as these descendants of Adam and Eve. We have the same temptations as these men and women had and, and uh, uh, the same lessons that we can learn from them. And so, so valuable. Some of this is a little bit of a repetition from uh, when we were in Kings. But again, we're going to leave this section of Scripture now and Jehoshaphat for many, many years and uh, so to have those lessons reintroduced into our heart, given a deeper place in our lives so that the Holy Spirit can bring these lessons to our remembrance as we have need when Ahab's come into our life, when manipulation attempts in our life, when peace is lost in our life and we stop and go, wait a second, don't tell me, jump in Jehoshaphat. That's who I got to learn from right here. And we learn how to handle it ourselves. So. Let's stand together, and if the worship team would come forward, that would be great as well.